0: Hey, this is Higher Peaks. This podcast is supported by our listeners on Patreon. There you can become a patron with options of bonus content, including behind-the-scenes posts, messages, pics, shorts, raw, unedited content, and even full episodes. You can influence future shows, have voting power, get exclusive rewards, and have patron-only giveaways. Become a patron now, and until April 30th on the Oregon Love tier or higher, you receive a free pack of our Private Crosses seed stock. See full details on our page at patreon.com slash Enjoy the show. Aldous Huxley,
1: in, in one of his books, talked about how the psychedelic experience was like visiting another country that you've never been to before. And so you're seeing things that look very different. You hear people talk in ways that are very different. And you see different ways of living. And then when you travel back home, even though you're not in that foreign place anymore, you carry things about that experience home with you, and you walk away from that experience knowing that the world is different than you thought it was before, and that influences the
0: way you perceive things at home. Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks.
2: And this is Lady Sativa.
0: You're listening to The Dirt Show,
2: where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture.
0: to the Dirt Show. I'm Higher Peaks.
2: And this is Lady Sativa.
0: Hey, so you were talking to me today about having to wear masks. Mm-hmm. Or it's suggested no. Uh,
2: a lot more retail is not suggested. It is promoted. Like it has to happen. <laughs> Wait, um, it's what do you not mean? in. It's well. It's not enforced, but I know of a lot of stores that it is enforced, such as the crown markets around here. All of them are forced to wear masks and gloves at work now. Mm-hmm. Um, even with that spit guard up as well. Um, do you
0: guys have spit guards? No. Oh, okay. No. I've seen a lot of those around. We were out. I was... Jamin
2: suggested it, but it's like we don't. We're kind of all on the fence about stuff. here. We just. We're very happy with the way things are. It sucks to think about things changing.
0: Well, I mean, I've seen a lot of places around here with
2: those guards. I wonder if they're going to keep those up. Uh, probably. Yeah. Well, probably not done at the thrifty nifty. Theirs got broken because the guys were such geniuses and decided to do it themselves. The mirror right behind that thing, behind their counter. Is no. broken the same way. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> they did the same thing to it.
2: So they installed a mirror back there?
0: It's been there. Oh, but they've got it covered with a shelf, and it's cracked the same way when they install it. same thing on the the front part. <laughs> well, you know the weird thing is is the masks like people are like making money off these things. Yes, some people are making more than others. Obviously, some
2: people are doing it for the cause. Some people are doing it for the money.
0: It's crazy because like really, I've seen really good masks for like five, to eight bucks, and then I've seen shitty ones for twenty. So,
2: um, I will have to shout her out. Uh, it's Fragile Bird bone uh on uh instagram she is the one that is making them it's um i think it's mango undies
0: you said fragile bird bone
2: Mm mm-hmm um and she is making the mango undies one. I don't remember what the first word of her Instagram is, but it's it's mango undies is what you could type in and you could find them. And she actually makes mango two different undies. Yeah, she was making underwear before, and sh- this is what she started to do with that cloth that she had for the it's it was panties and and underwear and uh, bras and or bralettes because you know because it's for girls that don't mm-hmm. have huge tatas, um, but. She made those and she's ending up using that extra cloth that she had lying around from those patterns and she put it towards making masks. And what she does is she was selling the first one and then when you buy that one for like the first one was $5 because it was just the cloth. She was selling it for $5 and you would get two masks to donate to the cause. So, you'd get your own and then donate two. Um, when it came to the filtered masks, it was, I think, $8, and then she would donate two to the cause.
0: Well, that's good. She has extras. Do, do you really think that people are going to wear them in dispensaries? Come on. Uh, there's a lot of people wearing them. For a minute. <laughs>
2: uh, there's a lot of people wearing them. Yeah,
0: they're just so uncomfortable. Like, it's all good and dandy until you wear them for four hours,
2: but mine feels like I'm being smothered uh, slowly. Um, I can't breathe out of my nose. I can only breathe out of my mouth.
0: Some of those masks, like the BDSM masks and shit. Um, <laughs> Ball they, gags.
2: <laughs> yeah. they. they I, every time I put mine on, you say it scares you. So, I, I, Well, the pattern does. It looks like you're smiling at me. I have, uh, what is it, Dreamcatchers on mine.
0: I figured something like that. Those personally. dream catchers
2: or feathers. Those were the two. So
0: well, we got our seeds popped. That's better positivity. I hated mm-hmm. to start out that way, but I just was curious about the whole mask thing. Like it's getting more and more and more. i maybe at some point and we can't I would avoid hope, it. I know. And I would hope that they would force masks, you know, like mandatory, then like make us mandatorily stay home. So Yeah. yeah. But we got our seeds popped. Uh, you know, we're we're now in full movement. Uh the four by four is up, everything's under T fives. Yeah. And We've got, uh, you know, a couple hundred seeds going of mix, like you said, flowers, vegetables, cannabis.
2: Did I see that you put my seeds back there too?
0: I did. Ah. Everything is under lights. Nice. The T5s, the four x four. So uh, I'm happy now because I was, you know, we were germinating and then I was getting, we we're pushing it. It's mm-hmm. been a couple days. We got everything, you know, put into dirt hundred uh, percent on those seeds though, on the germination, just want to make that note, which is really cool. It never happens to me. These are all our crosses from last year. So we're on year two of this. Mm-hmm. Actually we're two years deep. So technically year three, but we'll say year two. And you know, now we're going to start really doing like trying to take it a little bit, a little bit past pollen checking. Right. So just wanted to mention that. And you know, with our fruit, you know, vegetables and Stuff and our flowers. We're gonna try to make this a little homestead in the city.
2: Yep. We always try to. Only thing we the, can't
0: really do is plant trees, and that sucks.
2: That's not true. Well, I
0: mean, okay, we can plant trees, and we are planting trees. We, we got have, a willow tree. We, we got have a pussy willow. More
2: than a willow tree, we okay. have like three, four, or five. Four willow trees, and so anybody want a willow tree right now? And then we have the pussy willow, and then we have our Japanese maple.
0: Right. I, okay, you're right. And then we have a. And a then we have out the. The little, you know, Honestly, volunteer. we have a seedling
2: that fell from the tree into a pot in the corner and it started growing a tree. And so we water it and Honestly, I
0: think that's a blue spruce. It's a cool it, little tree.
2: It is a cool little tree, but we had no intention of it being there. Um there there was other plans for that pot, but it did break. So uh, looks like the blue spruce is hanging out in that tree or in that pot.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we're gonna give our seeds a Southern Oregon beating. I mm-hmm. am not. I don't care what happens in that damn four by four. I don't care. It's not going to freeze. Right. But I'm not going to baby it at all. You know, mm-hmm. I think that we should pick, you know, genetics. We're outdoor growers. We're going to pick genetics that do well in tough times. Mm-hmm. And
2: we shouldn't have to baby them in this area. We, no. And I, Oregon. Often,
0: I often wonder, JD brought this up, but I often wonder how strong plants are that have only seen indoors. they generation after generation after generation. Mm-hmm. They only see indoors. And it's like, how strong are they really? I don't know. Just a question, but we're gonna find out what we got this year. Yeah, uh, let's see. Cannabis social network Leafed In. Have you ever heard of them? Leafed In. Either have I. They changed their name to Leafed Out. <laughs> leafed In to Leafed Out following a trademark dispute settlement with LinkedIn.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought that was funny. That's funny. <laughs> Did you hear about the guy? Uh, his he's an NFL player, Kyle Turley. You know he's taking CBD to the next. Stupid ass level
2: the cure-all right.
0: Yeah saying he got a federal letter warning too. He has a CBD company and <laughs> He had claimed that it cured prevented and treated COVID-19
1: <laughs>
0: That's a fail, I'm sorry epic fail took CBD which is the ugly Redheaded stepchild of cannabis. hmm uh, THC I should say it's like the dirty cousin yeah. And the dirty, maybe the
2: dirty uncle. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and you dropped it on another level, you douchebag. Okay. You're trying to claim some bullshit. <laughs> Just because you got money doesn't mean you got to lie to the people, okay? Yeah, and that
0: was the extent of I me you talking about the news.
2: Don't need to be fucking make people more <laughs> gullible than they need to be.
0: Yeah, he tweeted, okay, okay, you're all right. I'll admit it. Cheap CBD brand products will not prevent or cure COVID-19. Is he saying that about his own company? Notice he said cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, let's move on. Now, we had a, we had a contest all month. Mm-hmm. Month of March, we did a $50 Amazon card the beginning giveaway, of April. which went well. We mm-hmm. got a lot of response. We did. A lot of good info. We asked basically survey questions about just preferences.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you
0: like? How do you like to consume? Uh, we did ask the demographics because we want to find out the, the, the demographics of the people that listen to us so we can try to appeal to those, mm-hmm. you guys. To the masses. Y'all aren't just emailing us all day, so. Emailing. Yeah. We got uh, some good information, though, good entries, and we did do a random name generator Mm -hmm. on those. Uh, I did get a URL that I'll put up so that people can see it was legit. It's got a date, time, and stamp and everything, and uh, that that card is going to go out. We did do the drawing, Mm -hmm. so we're going to send it out now. We're going to declare it here, and then we are going to email you, so if you get right back to us with your mailing address... Then we can have it sent out this week, and you can have it in your hands for the weekend. Right? Hopefully. One thing I gotta say is when I said Amazon fifty dollars Amazon card, people are like, thought it was like a hoax. Not a hoax, but thought it was kind of fake. I think because there's so many bullshit like emails that are out there. You know, Home Depot card. You just want, you know, and yeah. it's just. Uh, so maybe next time I'll just be a fifty dollars Visa card. How right. That. <laughs> anyway, that winner was
2: addicted to music for twenty.
0: All right, addicted to music for 20. Hey, thanks. Thanks for uh, doing the survey and we appreciate it. We'll get that fifty dollar card out to you. If you're listening, send us an email at organrooted at gmail.com. If not, we'll you'll get an email from us. Mm-hmm. Get back to us so you can get that card. That's fifty dollars, you know, cash. Hell yeah. Enjoy spending it. Yeah. You know, include me.
2: You can get a lot of shit on Amazon.
0: I know. <laughs> All right. So we appreciate that. Also, too, I just wanted to mention that our Patreon is just getting built now. You know, I've got several posts up there. Um, I'm really hitting it hard when it comes to, uh, like, the upper tiers. I've got some stuff on the influencer tier uh, where it's – I got, like, a a whole 15-minute clip. I've got Mm -hmm. another one that's downloading that's got a 30-minute clip. And it was just behind-the-scenes stuff, unedited raw. It was really cool. I got a bunch of clips on there, too, like 15-second clips. Just hilarious. There's a couple on there that, you know (sighs) – they're pretty funny, but it's all behind the scenes. So it's really cool stuff. So if you can check us out there again, I know right now times are tough, mm-hmm. but this is how we're going to support the show. And I really want to stay away from advertising. Yeah, uh, we may not be able to because it's guaranteed money, but uh, hopefully we can by getting support. So just want to mention that. Now we did bring on Jason Wilson from Curious About Cannabis again. And the reason I brought him on is because a lot of people don't know that he has a lot of education in fungus and mycology.
2: He's a fun guy.
0: He's a fun guy, and he's very smart to begin with, knows a lot about cannabis, but he even knows a lot more about about fungus. He even wrote a, a children's book that you can find on um, his his uh, platforms. But I brought him on to talk about that, and we talked specifically about basically psychology of of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we get into weird things like you know, uh, debriefing after you've done, you know a whole trip. Uh, Bring in, you know, how it brings up old memories, suppressed memories, uh, you know, breaking old habits and cycles, um, using it as medicine, uh, religion impact, Mm -hmm. you know, how it played a role in that. Uh, Lucid dreaming. That was a really good conversation, actually. (laughs) Inner world exploring. Mushrooms are so inner, even Mm -hmm. over LSD. And I think society suppresses a lot of that. Um, And then processing stuff and and, uh, even the fact that you can brainwash yourself. Mm-hmm. an interesting subject too, as well. So good. I interest you, or I'm just. This is a really good, good uh, talk about about psychedelics that I don't think people really go into much. So I hope you enjoy the show and uh, organ love, organ love, stay rooted. Now, Jason, here's the weird thing: is that with these mushrooms, you know, we can have different kinds of experiences. So. Let's talk about how they teach us things, like whether mm. it's, um, you know, uh, with food mm-hmm. or with uh, medicine, how how do they teach us and what can we learn from that?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, there's different ways to approach that kind of question. Um, if you're focusing more on like psychedelic mushrooms, um, you know, there's still a lot we don't know about what they actually do in the body and to the brain and that sort of thing. but um, one thing that seems really clear is that they affect perception and, um, and deep in affect in deeply profound ways consciousness. Um, and so you know when you, when you ask about like what can they teach us, I mean, on one like direct level of like what can be learned from the psychedelic experience, Um, I think just that alteration of perception is, um, a big learning experience, um, being able to get outside of your own thought loops that are in your brain. You know, we grow up experiencing the world in our own way, and we develop patterns of thought that kind of become these deep ruts in our brains. Um... And we start thinking about things in—it's like motor memory, you know. We s- perceive things in patterns, and one thing that psychedelics seem to have the ability to do, and and even cannabis to some extent, but not in quite a profound way, but it can sort of break those habitual thought loops and patterns of perception and behavior. And um, what I like. Aldous Huxley, in in one of his books, talked about how the psychedelic experience was like visiting another country that you've never been to before. And so you're seeing things that look very different. You hear people talk in ways that are very different. um, And you see different ways of living, different creatures, plants, you know, whatever. And then when you travel back home, even though you're not in that foreign place anymore, you carry things about that experience home with you. And you walk away from that experience knowing that the world is different than you thought it was before. And that influences the way you perceive things at home. Um, and I think that's a really nice analogy that, you know, at times when people have these psychedelic experiences, they can see things in a different way, and it's like stepping into a unique life or something. And then when they're out of the experience, you don't, like, forget what you experienced. I think that's a misconception about psychedelics um, that is sort of a carryover from people just trying to understand it in terms of intoxication, but it's it's very different, like... Um, at least I know from my own experience that I I remember what I experienced, you know, in my, in my psychedelic experiences. And um, those changes of perception and thoughts um, carry with me um, into the future and help me understand that there is a way of living, a way of seeing things and a way of being that is maybe different than, um the limitations that i had sort of unknowingly imposed upon myself before does that make sense
0: absolutely and i think i have to debrief
1: yeah i mean on a this isn't totally comparable but um to put it in context for people that may be less connected to the subject directly it's almost like dream journaling or something correct you know like trying to um get out of your head what you've experienced and look at it from another perspective, uh, play with it a little bit, take what you can or want from it, exclude what you don't want or doesn't make sense to you and, and then integrate that in. And I'm, I'm really careful. So another thing that is a big part of my passions um, I used to really be into lucid dreaming. Um, So I've always had very strong dreams in general and, Um, my wife is the same way and it's one thing we connected over early on in our relationship, but I used to, I don't do it so much anymore. I should, but I don't, but I used to have pretty strict dream journals I would keep and I would try to train my brain to remember all of the dreams that I've had. And it got to a point, it got really, um, really, really interesting, um, where when I would go to sleep, I felt like I was living weeks or months of life at a time before I would wake up and I would remember it all. I would write it down. Um, and that had really profound impacts on um, how I thought about things, what I thought was possible as far as conscious experience journey. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that experience related, uh, really well to my, encounters with psychedelics because I viewed it in a very similar way. Anytime that I would have a psychedelic experience, I would journal a lot um, and try to write down what I remembered, um, what themes came up. Because I don't know about for you, but in most psychedelic experiences that I've had, there are usually themes that arise. And usually they're things that have either been consciously or subconsciously, you know, been a part of your life or, you know, part of your reality. Um, and that you've maybe been struggling with or ignoring. <clears throat> psychedelics have a funny way of
0: really surfacing the things that you're trying to ignore <laughs> in your mind. With with mushrooms, you have to be aware of the fact, or even psychedelics, you have to be aware of the fact that you are going to confront. Well, the word psychedelic means mind manifesting.
1: Something I like to refer people to is any work by Alexander Sasha Shulgin, who um, discovered and invented a lot of Psychedelics. Um, that's what he dedicated his work to. He's a very uh, was. He's dead now, but he was a very reputable scientist and um, had a DEA license and everything. His work was legit. But he published two books that, if anyone's really interested in like doing a real deep dive into psychedelics, um, uh, T. Call and P. Call. So T. Call is T. I. H. K. A. L. and it stands for Tryptamines I Have Known and Loved. And that would be, tryptamines are things that um, generally are structured similar to serotonin. Um, This would be things like psilocybin and LSD and DMT, that sort of thing. And then um, PCOL is P-I-H-K-A-L. It's phenethylamines I've known and loved. And phenethylamines are things that um, usually are a little more similar to dopamine and uh, would be things like mescaline. Um, And some of the mescaline-derived synthetic psychedelics and stuff. So um, those are big. They're big books, um, but in those books, not only did um, Sasha Shulgin document, um, you know, basic stuff about these molecules and how they're structured and all that sort of thing, but um, him and his partner also tried all of these psychedelics and documented their experiences in a, in a pretty... Um, um, I mean he was a scientist so it, it happened in a, a very kind of research scientific way and it's really cool because his partner comes about it from a more kind of um, philosophical approach so you get two very different um, descriptions of the experiences um, which I think is a nice balance um, but the whole point is that Sasha Shulgin has um, indicated that he views most of his work as identifying tools and It's up to us as a society, as a culture, to figure out what to do with these tools, how to best apply them, um, and how to avoid harm or risk associated with them, that sort of thing. But um, there's a really good interview that Terrence McKenna did with Sasha Shulgin in Prague that you can probably look up on YouTube. Um, But... um, you know, Terrence asks him about that, you know, does he view himself as like a pioneer and how should people be using, you know, psychedelics and everything. And he was always quick to say, like, I don't know how people should use them, but I know they are tools for exploring consciousness in very interesting ways. And it's, you know, he's just sort of unlocked the tool chest and it's going to take a long time for us to kind of make sense of that tool chest, just like we're doing in medicine broadly. But um, yeah, so, psychedelics you know i mentioned before there's all sorts of clinical research going on with them right now uh, for all sorts of things that are providing um indications that even on a very um in a very controlled clinical setting these things can be profoundly valuable you know um, people with chronic depression can um have a a guided psychedelic experience and and a nuance I'll, i'll point out to this is that um The best results tend to come about with psychedelics when the experience is monitored by someone experienced um, that can kind of guide that experience without um, influencing it. And that's uh, that's sort of an art to know how to how to do that. Um,
0: I'm going to say that's a shaman. You're led, you're guided, mm -hmm. and you are left to be hmm yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna really push you far jason all right so go for it here we go <laughs> what religion were you brought up in
1: um so i originally was uh, brought up as a southern baptist i from a very very early age um was exposed to philosophical thought and ideas and i will say that my upbringing as a southern baptist was unique compared to a lot of people. Um, One, because I was a preacher's kid, so my dad was a preacher. Um, And also, um, my dad was a unique preacher compared to many that I was exposed to um, over the years. He was very um, logical and um, much, I think, much more deeply philosophical-minded than a lot of Creatures are a lot of, I mean, a lot of people in religion in general kind of get boxed into um, a core set of beliefs that are kind of just prescribed for them, and they take that and live within that realm. And my upbringing wasn't really like that. Um, I was given a lot of freedom to explore ideas. So um, yeah, the new new.
0: I don't know. Did you have the Catholic <laughs> nunu? <new-new?
1: laughs> but But uh, I just, like, we were always, in my family, we were always having um, pretty deep discussions. And, um, you know, that paved the way for a lot of how I developed in the future as far as why I got interested into um, trying to understand things related to dreaming and things related to consciousness. And, you know, when I went into college, I... Um, you know, I majored in philosophy, in psychology, and uh, that's all a reflection of, you know, that foundation that was laid. Um, and yeah, I mean, even with psychedelics, um, that is, uh, I think, deeply related to my, um, my background in exploring um, kind of deeply, philosophical personal ideas about who we are as conscious creatures or as beings of consciousness however you want to describe it call it a soul Um, i don't care what you call it but you know as conscious beings like what's our sort of plight in this state of reality that we're in um so yeah absolutely that fed into my interest in psychedelics with cannabis though Cannabis is a little weird. Like, my background with cannabis was not so straightforward. I was interested in psychedelics way way before I was interested in cannabis. Um, I've heard that a lot. um, You know, for me, I thought psychedelics were... um, I thought there was much more to learn from psychedelics um, in that context of, like, trying to understand consciousness and how the mind works and... So you think um, it's
0: more superficial than it is? Cannabis? No, psychedelics.
1: Oh. Oh you know, like I mentioned before, it brings to the forefront many things that have either been um, suppressed or are just in that subconscious realm that are not easy to access. You know, certainly there are other ways to access that than psychedelics. Um, (laughs) You know, I was into meditation a lot. Like I mentioned before, I was really into lucid dreaming, all for very similar reasons in that I wanted to explore the contents of my own mind, whatever the mind is and and that's a another sort of complicated thing like how do you define the mind and what is consciousness and all of that but um so that that's sort of a common thread that weaves through a lot of my interests is that core interest in exploring um the inner world um that we have and i do think it's something that in our modern culture we are not Um, incentivized to do very much at all. And I think that is um, to our society's detriment. Um, I think that a lot of um, issues related to mental health, um, as well as just like interpersonal relationship dynamics and things can be improved if people were to take on the project of exploring their inner world more um but our our society these days really focuses on the outer world and sort of like suppressing the inner world in a in a sense like it's it's not very um valued to really um reflect a lot and that seems to be changing some um our society is going through like a weird shift right now i think because religion as we've traditionally thought of it is changing A lot right now a lot of people are not identifying so much with um, organized religion broadly or specific denominations or ways of belief and it's becoming much more about a personal relationship with one's own spirituality that's definitely something that as I was you know growing up as a preacher's kid I was exposed to a lot of other preachers and preacher families and things and I know that this is a dynamic that a lot of people in no matter what religion they're in are going through right now. Um, um, and it, it seems to be a, a trend. And I think it's because people are realizing that these boxed in ways of thinking, these prescribed beliefs um, are superficial and that the real deal is your active engagement with yourself and right. and whatever you want to call it god your soul you know these sure. these things label it yeah. yeah and um i find that really really fascinating that um you know more and more people do seem to be starting to realize that regardless of their engagement with their religion they may not have been engaged with their spirituality and that those are very different things
0: religion is basing your Ideas on someone else's experience, whereas with spirituality, you're basing your beliefs on your own.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a so getting into a little bit of my personal history, growing up in churches. I've seen a lot of terrible things happen in churches. I've seen deacons on the pulpit fist fighting. I've seen um, people embezzling money. uh, Yeah, all sorts of all sorts of terrible things in churches.
0: And something that I learned incest.
1: That, you know, a lot well, of, I hate to yeah, go there, but, yeah, but, but really, but yeah. the
0: point is, is that those things are not separate from our beliefs.
1: Yeah, um, an early um, realization that I had in my own spiritual journey, or whatever you want to call it, is that um, church, as it's maybe more purely conceptualized is not a place or a group of people or a building or any of these things, but, um, you know, uh, church is sort of this structure that you build around your journey in engaging with that, you know, pursuit of, of trying to understand your inner world and, sure. and that, that deeper understanding. And, um,
0: Hopefully you know, people understand that.
1: Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm really nervous that, like, the things that I'm saying are going to be misconstrued in a variety of different ways. But a distinction that I'll make in that I do not subscribe to the idea that all religions point to the same thing or that all religions are essentially the same and that they're, like, this pursuit of um, a relationship with a uh, higher power. I do think that, um, yeah, there was a point in my life where I falsely held the idea that um, most religions were essentially saying the same thing and people were just misinterpreting what the message was. Um, I no longer think that's true. And the only only real thing you have is your experience. As far as like what's real to you, you know, coming around to psychedelics and lucid dreaming and meditation and, and all of these what I would consider to be psychedelic experiences. I think that, you know, lucid dreaming and meditation are psychedelic experiences. They are mind manifesting. I think near-death experiences are psychedelic experiences, um, as as well as things that are um, triggered through, you know, exogenous chemicals as in like psychedelic mushrooms or LSD or DMT or anything like
0: that. Um it- People think that you have to induce these states based on drugs, breathing, meditation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, breathing's a good one. Yeah, uh, no,
0: breathing's big. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wim Hof method. Yeah, I encourage people to look that up. Um, uh, meditation, uh, Buddhists. Um, there is many ways to induce certain
1: states of being. States yeah. of being,
0: and that's a choice. Mm -hmm. again you can do those states without inducing and you can do those states inducing and prayer is another one and prayer so the first i would say the first two or three or four levels of psychedelics if you want to classify them is achievable things that people can do Mm -hmm. the five six seven eight levels beyond that might come from plants
1: Yeah. Unless you have like an extreme devotion. So like I've, I've studied. So you can push it. Yeah. I mean, I've studied, you know, other people that have constitutions way, you know, to, to a degree that I just don't think I have where they've, you know, gone into darkness and silence for months or years at a time
0: or. So we're talking pioneers.
1: Yeah. I mean, people that, that have really pushed this personal pursuit to the nth degree. I mean, we're talking about basically ascetics, you know, like, so an ascetic, you know, is a term, um, I think that primarily comes out of India, but, you know, these groups of people that have dedicated their lives to a, usually a a spiritual pursuit and they don't have possessions and they just, um, you know, they're kind of nomadic. They just travel and they are just kind of on that journey. They don't have attachments. um, They usually don't even identify with, An identity, you know, like they are just conscious beings in the world. Um, So there are those types of people that are able, that report having the same types of extremely profound experiences that people report on, you know, very high doses of um, hallucinogens or whatever. Um, But those are fairly rare and take quite a bit of um, time, patience, and energy to achieve. Um, The closest thing, in my experience, that can be achieved That is, that would be similar to a high-level psychedelic experience would be lucid dreaming. Um, like I've mentioned before, some of my most profound experiences that I've had in my life have been while I was lucid dreaming. Um, and And in some ways, that is, it's very much its own like unique thing because there's nothing that I've experienced with psychedelics that even compares to lucid dreaming. That psychedelics in general are physiologically really, really safe in general. The one thing I I always point out when I'm talking about psychedelics is I, I definitely don't think that most people or all people should try them. I don't think they're right for everybody. I know from experience being around um, various types of people that some people... Um, do not react well to psychedelics for whatever reason, whether it's something with their serotonergic system or what. Um, a lot of times when people are talking about psychedelics, and Terrence McKenna was really bad about this, um, was putting forth this idea that it's something that, you know, everyone needs to experience and that society will be better for it. And I think there, I think that comes from a, a good place, but that's a, um, it's a somewhat of a dangerous message um, because I have yeah. seen negative outcomes of psychedelics. And while it is hard for psychedelics to be abused um, for multiple reasons, one is you build a tolerance really, really quickly. And because the way that it interacts with your consciousness and everything, a lot of times the experiences are not um, pleasurable in a you know direct sense like cannabis might be or, or other recreational drugs. Um, cannabis is
0: a good way to ease into
1: that field it can be um, and i don't, if, i'm not
0: saying purposely like you're like oh i'm gonna ease into this field uh, it's not a gateway drug like that
1: no i know what you're saying though it, it can get you comfortable but, with that sort of um alterations to consciousness and, exactly it yeah. can
0: allow you to be um open to mm-hmm. more experiences with psychoactive things whether or not that sure. goes, is good or bad
1: yeah yeah no absolutely um and you know there's some interesting potential interplay between cannabis and psychedelics. I mean, one thing is that you've got like um, CB1 receptors and serotonin receptors that sometimes appear right alongside each other in um, tissues in the brain. And um, so inevitably, um, you know, using cannabis and psychedelics together that they're going to affect each other in that way, because the psychedelics are going to be primarily interacting with those um, serotonin receptors, if in at least in the case of psilocybin and then, Um, you know, THC is going to be stimulating that CB1 receptor, and there's going to be interplay there. Um, A lot of that hasn't been researched and studied, so I don't really understand all of the dynamics there, but it's certain that there is interplay there. And then there's, you know, other things that um, we've talked about before, that if you're a person where cannabis relieves anxiety, then um, in preparation for a psychedelic experience, um, that might be a tool where cannabis could be valuable as, you know, kind of um, easing you into that transitionary space where the, um, the, the psychedelic is, is coming on. There's also, like, if someone eats... Some people that consume psychedelic mushrooms um, get really nauseous. Some people don't. Some people do. Um, but for those that do get nauseous, sometimes cannabis can help with that aspect too. Um, there's also, I mean, highlighting on some of the interplay... I know from my own experience that using cannabis um, on the tail end of a psychedelic experience can um, sometimes um, sort of crank up the volume of the experience. So like bring on, you know, waves of, of, um, uh, of experiences um, that were on their way, you know, going down down and and can bring them back up. I can, I can speak to that from personal experience, but uh, a lot of these other interplays, we don't, understand super well, but, um, yeah, certainly cannabis in multiple ways can assist that process. But like I said, I'm always, I'm always, um, I always want to be careful in the way that I talk about psychedelics because while the, the potential positive benefits can be extremely profound, the potential detriments can also be very profound. And so it's something that like really, has to be respected. You really like need to pay attention to set and setting. Like you don't want to do psychedelics in a in a party setting. Um, I mean, some people do and enjoy that. I personally think that's a dangerous kind of game to play. Um, although you know, like microdosing is so popular now, so people aren't really tripping when they're you know say they're doing psychedelics. And that's kind of a a newer phenomenon. But um, for people that are like really, you know, taking true, um, um, you know, what might would be turned as heroic doses, uh, by Terrence McKenna, but, um, you know, that, you know, you're going to affect your consciousness in very profound ways that you may or may not be ready for. And if you're not in the right place with the right people in the right frame of mind, um, it could be detrimental. Um, there is also the same with cannabis, but there is the issue too, that if you have underlying mental health issues um, that are, you know, genetic, um, psychedelics can present experiences to you that are so profound that they can traumatize you and that can flip a switch and yeah. and precipitate mental health problems. Um, so it's just something that as we talk about this, I want to make sure we touch on those aspects too um, because it's very easy to get really excited about all of the potential. Um, but there's an enormous amount of respect that has to come with these natural products and and even the, the synthetic psychedelics and recognize that this isn't like a um, – this isn't a process to be taken lightly, I guess
0: I would say. And it's not for everyone. <clears throat> so, I mean, if you're going to step into the psychedelic world, here's the deal. You're going to learn stuff. You're going to have experiences. But those experiences are all dictated by responsibility and a framework. Mm-hmm. A framework which you should intentionally use. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Another something that I've experienced multiple times with... Um, Myself and with friends of mine that have experimented with psychedelics is there's a phenomenon that happens where sometimes when you have a really profoundly good experience, you want to essentially evangelize it. You want to share it. You want to share the good news with everybody. And I think something that's important to point out is that whatever lessons you learn in your experience, those are Your personal lessons, they are not necessarily objective lessons to be applied to other people. Correct. And um, anyone that's listening to this that maybe is going through this right now or or experiences it later, I highly suggest um, really uh, fighting the urge to go out and share your insights with the world. Sit on it for like a month and um, let it really Process. process. Yeah. And... Um, and then go forward from there. But I, I've had a variety of, um, experiences. Like I said, I've, I've done this myself and I have friends that have done it too, where, you know, you you take a bunch of mushrooms, have a very profound experience and you're like, oh, I get it now. Like I get it. And I want other people to get it.
0: Yeah. Everybody else has to get it. Yeah. (laughs) And,
1: um, all the things that are presented in a psychedelic experience, just like with lucid dreaming, just like with meditation, you know, all these things, they're coming from within you. They're coming from within your consciousness and your mental frameworks. Um, And um, yeah, they, they should always be considered, I think, subjective truths, even if they might possibly be truths that can expand beyond your personal life and everything. Um, but in in general, I think it's it's better to think of them all as as personal lessons rather than, you know, um, objective lessons that need to be assimilated everybody. by everybody. And yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. and I mean, one of the really cool things that psychedelics do, so coming back around to like a really technical side, but um they can inspire what's called neurogenesis, so actually inspiring brain cells to grow. And um, for neurons to form unique connections they haven't formed before, and that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, on that level, psychedelics are really interesting because, you know, we talk about, especially, um, you know, it's a term that really comes from like the 60s, but, you know, mind expanding or consciousness expanding. Well, in a sense, they, on a real tangible level, they do that um, in that they're breaking those thought loop patterns. They are encouraging your brain to grow uh, new brain cells and to, which is so different than like what the dare propaganda would put yeah, out Yeah. Well, know? they want
0: to make you believe you're dying. Right. And um, your brain is but, just but fizzling that's, away. Right.
1: But, the, you know, and that's, that's not the case. Now, what I will say is if psychedelics are abused, if you do psychedelics too often in the wrong context, you can get some extreme m- miswiring in the brain, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you can end up really, really, really confused. Um, what do they call that?
0: Um, were you grandiose?
2: Yes,
1: yes. That's a, like, that's a big one with like psychedelics.
0: There's two ways you can go if you're really kind of skewed. There's either grandiose or the opposite where you're sub-level. Yeah, yeah. And but I think the grandiose thing takes over sometimes, where you're like, I know everything, I know God, I right. I, I am everything, and, and it you com- don't know nothing. And it comes you know. about
1: sometimes in this context of like, oh, I killed my ego, and now yes. I you know know X, yes. Y, and Z. Yes, and that's absolutely. Just, and that's such a funny thing because it's like, well, if your ego was dead, would you even be like interested in you know pointing out to me that you've got this you know grand understanding of things? Um,
0: and I find using the word ego death is similar to full spectrum,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah, no idea, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and so that's that's an aspect, especially with younger people that are you know experimenting with psychedelics. I saw this a lot in college, of you know, some people get attracted to psychedelics because.
0: Elevation of uh, that grandiose. Well, it's, it,
1: it's been the whole pursuit of enlightenment and everything has been romanticized in a lot of
0: ways. Well, and actually triggered towards the ego. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I
1: mean, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. That's there's a full spectrum, right? <laughs> there's, <laughs> you know, it's similar stuff that we see in cannabis. You've got the people that are very pure of heart that are trying to do things for the right reasons they're treating very serious things in their own life and um don't need to flaunt it you know it's just part of their way of being and then you've got those people that want to be you know in everyone's face and you know start posting uh tweets and instagram posts about their cannabis or psychedelic use and everything because they they want to be seen as being on this romanticized Journey. They want to get on the hero's journey, but they don't know how to get on their own hero's journey. So they piggyback on, you sure. know, something else that's been given to them. And um, so anyone sort of navigating this landscape, I think it's important to recognize that because there's so many like influencers out there now on social media that are talking about doing psychedelics and microdosing, and same with cannabis and everything. And uh, there's like maybe one percent of those influencers that actually are legit, and that. Are try to be careful with their language, but want to bring awareness, you know, and and that's you know why they're doing it. But the other ninety nine percent are just trying to get their own ego stroked and wanting to like be in on the fad, be in on the the inside, you
0: know, scoop, yeah. and, you know, and that sort of thing. And well, I also like have to say, I did it. Right. Yeah. You know, I took motions. Right. It's, well, well, whatever. Okay. Yeah, they want to be able
1: to plant their flag into the top of Mount Everest <laughs> yes. and say, Yeah, I've been here. Now yeah. I want to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that's such a different thing. And, you know, like I said, going back to my own passion with all of this, it's been about trying to understand as best as I can in my own limited ability what's going on, you know, on a basic level. It's just like I'm a conscious being. I'm here what the hell is going on? Like, you know,
0: (laughs) yeah. And, and like I said, I think a lot of it is just like a cheat code. Like mushrooms are a way to step up into different levels or psychedelics are a way to step up into different levels that you can choose to be in, that you can use, utilize tools.
1: Yeah. I I think a, a good online resource for people to learn about the diversity of psychedelic experiences and, um, how things can really go wrong is um, go to Arrowid, um, E-R- yeah. Erowid, E-R, yeah. Um Go to that site and look up the disaster. So go to the experience reports and look up the disaster experiences. And um, that can calibrate you real quick to how things can go wrong and sometimes really, really, really profoundly wrong, like to the point that people die over really stupid stuff. Um, but I... When I was studying drugs in general, I mean, you know me, like my analytical mind, before I did anything, I researched everything. And Arrowwood was a huge resource for me to, like, understand what I was stepping into and anything that I thought I might want to try and to try to make sense of the potential benefits and risks and, and all of that sort of thing. And um, gosh, that's I think that's a really invaluable resource because it's not someone like providing this education to you. I mean, it's a community driven thing um that's pretty well moderated, um, where you're learning from what real people have experienced and a diver- well, you know, wide diversity of people have experienced. Um and yeah, look into those experience reports and you'll see how important set and setting is, how important dose is, how important, you know, uh your your intentions are. Um it's, um, yeah, it's a real thing. It's something that I'm glad that our culture has gotten to the point that like, we can sit here on a podcast and talk about psychedelics. Um, I think that's really, really fascinating and exciting. And it's exciting that here in Oregon, you know, that we're going to be voting on, uh, legalizing the, uh, decriminalizing possession and, and legalizing the medical use of psychedelic mushrooms. I think that's, um, a huge step in the right direction, and we're seeing cities in different places in the United States legalize psychedelics. Um, and you know, I, I hope to see more of that. And like I said, not that I want to see more people do psychedelics necessary, but I want to see these things become part of our conversation and a part of our um, cultural awareness so that we can decide what to do with them rather than just putting them in a box on the shelf somewhere and pretending they don't exist um
0: well and i feel like it's it's kind of sad to to make ibuprofen okay right and and not you know recognize yeah. uh as a mental drug
1: right yeah well it seems like we're rediscovering you know a lot of Pharma- this
0: stuff pharmacopoeia really
1: yeah um you know going back to i don't think i actually touched on like some of the clinical outcomes that some of the research of psychedelics is showing but as far as like threats to the pharmaceutical industry so Say someone has chronic depression, they take something like Zoloft or you know, whatever, every day, and they're able to maintain a um tolerable manner um sure. of, of living. Of and life, some yeah. some people have really good responses to it, but I know a lot of people that have taken a lot of different Zombies, antidepressants. Dude. And sometimes, I mean, they're they they have a a role. I know a lot of people that um are better people because of pharmaceutical antidepressants. I also know a lot of people that antidepressants have not helped them at all, possibly well, made things I've worse. I've heard a lot but, of
0: people saying numb, like just the fact right. that they're just numb. And I've, like, I've, ex- I've
1: experienced that myself. Like
0: where you just like, yeah, it works, but yeah. I just don't, I'm not happy. I'm not sad, I'm just yeah. there.
1: I've, I've had that experience when I was um, going through um, pain management, trials for all of my um back injuries so i've got like three spinal cord injuries one in my neck one right. in my middle back one in my lower back and um i was put on all sorts of things and one of the things that i was put on was um antidepressants with uh the off-label use for chronic pain and um that's what i told my wife as i was like i just don't feel much of anything um i don't feel very excited about anything i don't feel depressed um but i don't i just you know, I just feel like kind of a shell of, of who yeah. I once was. I don't feel very creative um, and that sort of thing. So, some people have that reaction. But going back to the research on psychedelics, um, what's really promising is that people with PTSD, chronic depression, um, you know, different o- OCD is another one that with one to three or five sessions, Um, some of the folks that are going through these clinical trials um, don't seem to need any pharmaceutical interventions to treat their problems after that period. Um, Sometimes the positive effects of psychedelics will last six months, a year, sometimes indefinitely for some people. And think about what a threat that is to some of the revenue streams that have been built into mental health care that someone for... Can pay for a single experience or a handful of experiences and get a lifetime's worth of benefit of benefit, yeah. and not have to pay every single month for a prescription for a, a, a pill they're going to take every single day that may be, um, you know, dramatically affecting the way that their brain even works permanently. They're going to walk away potentially with other issues related to taking those antidepressants or antipsychotics than they were even dealing with before they took them. So, um, you know, that's really exciting. And, like, already in the United States, like, ketamine is is becoming um, accepted. Masculine.
0: Um uh there's some research on that oh yeah uh, yeah so you know yeah Um, for
1: sure yeah it's not just with these with these well
0: it's all psychoactive i think that like i said i think that we're on the journey of the fact that we can nail down pretty much certain things that these psychoactives help yeah now whether we choose to use them properly or whether we choose to abuse them or that's that's a whole different story Mm -hmm. yeah but the fact is, is we have a cornucopia if you will of pharmaceutical things that we can pull from and my my actual concern is if we really utilize mushrooms and fungus and salvia and and uh, oh, salvia that's an interesting one well th- there's here's the deal there's a bunch of interesting things that we could grow in mm-hmm. our backyard yeah. legally yeah that would add to this pharmacopeia and i wouldn't mind you talking about it it's the fact that the, the real danger mm-hmm. is that f- <clears throat> pharmacy is going to realize that 90% of what we need is not with pills. We're gonna use cannabis, we're gonna use mushrooms, we're gonna use fungus, we're gonna use all these- uh, and, plant, diet, uh, and diet. Diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Exercise. All yeah. of it, all of it. Mm-hmm. And then incorporate that into our lifestyle. And then we really, the only things we'll really need uh real pills for is like heart disease right and more severe like diabetes interventions that are yeah, needed and yeah. stuff that is le- legitimate concerning
1: immediate problems right like your body like legitimately can't do certain things that right. it needs to to do
0: and so right. it needs help or whatever yeah and so i've never denied that from from pharmacopoeia but at the same time pharmacopoeia has denied our basic medicines that get us there to that point out of fear and to briefly touch
1: on it I, i'll spend just 2 seconds talking sure. about it but you brought up salvia salvia's a really interesting one because it actually interacts with the endocannabinoid system i've been on this journey of understanding my inner world for a long time and that's led me in a lot of directions and i've never even really talked about it much because i'm always worried about how it will be received and perceived and um you know and all that sort of thing but um yeah A lot of these psychedelics do interact with the endocannabinoid system in ways we don't quite understand. Salvia is a really weird one because it interacts with um, opioid receptors and uh, some cannabinoid receptors, and it it, it influences um, things in a way that is not traditionally thought of when it comes to psychedelics. But also, if you've ever tried salvia, salvia is not a typical psychedelic in its effects. Um, It is a very, very interesting um, herb that elicits uh, an experience that I can only describe as like maddening dissociation,
0: (laughs) basically. Uh, Uh, I would, I don't know if you had much experience with DMT. Yeah, yeah. But I would liken it to the same thing. People don't realize. In a sense. Yeah, I think people don't realize that with certain psychedelics, there's a very, very fine line between being here Mm -hmm. and being there. (laughs) yeah now when you don't experience that it's hard to have respect for it yeah yeah
1: yeah Yeah, I mean so you know my wanting to talk about the um, the cause you know to for people to be cautious that comes from my own experiences and I've you know I've had some experiences where I'm honestly a little amazed that um, I've made it through them without you know some very serious repercussions Um, sure I mean, there was a time in my life. So, another thing that a lot of people don't know about me is I'm bipolar. So, um, before I knew that I was bipolar, um, I would, you know, go through some pretty extreme depressive and manic episodes. And during um, some of those early days, um, I did a lot of experimenting with a lot of different things, um, and psychedelics being one of those. Um, and so, I I pushed things to limits that I you know, looking back on um, was very, in a sense, foolish to do. But because I made it through to the other side, I've learned a lot from it. And I think I have a lot to offer people when they want to learn about psychedelics and, you know, those sorts of experiences that hopefully they can not recreate what I did and have much more um, uh, beneficial outcomes um, from their use of that if that's something they decide to do. Um, but I'm also not ever going to, like, encourage someone to do psychedelics. It's one of those things of, like, research it. If you want to know more, I can tell you. Um, but I'm I'm not going to say that you should um, or that you shouldn't. But I'll definitely, you know, kind of try to, uh, you know, in, in some way I think of it as, like, I've hiked down this, like, long trail. And I've made it back to the trailhead. And I can give people some of the, like, things to watch out for and um, some of the. But you can't point out all the rocks. Yeah. And I mean, that goes back to the this whole idea that, like, whatever lessons you learn, whatever you experience, like, that is your experience, your lessons. And, yeah, nobody can tell you what you're going to experience or, yeah. you know, what lessons are to be learned and everything. But, um, you know, there's. There's. All sorts of little things. Yeah. DMT is a very interesting one. Um, you know, DMT is one of those that um, has an interesting mythology around it. That's not actually super well-founded. Like people used to think that DMT was made by the pineal gland. And I don't think that's actually been supported by research. And
0: No, and but I will challenge you on this. Let me talk about this. And I hate to, you know, push you in this zone, but here's the uh, deal. They found that DMT exists in places where they didn't expect like, and yeah, the lungs pass- and well, passing away. Oh, yeah. yeah. So people that have died, uh, their um, DMT levels raise um, people that have went through um, experiences that are, quote unquote, um, what you would call like alien encounters and yeah, alien like that. encounters. I would call them religious experiences, which may be questionable. But these people have actually had these DMT experiences near death, mm-hmm. um, and there's question as to if that your body is actually contributing to that, mm-hmm. meaning that during these moments of trauma, mm-hmm. your body is giving you a way to transform mm-hmm. or,
1: Tr- or yeah, 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 you know what I mean. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Could well,
1: that's that that's be? that's some of the speculation that has spun off from Rick Strassman's research when he was he was studying DMT and he gave healthy volunteers um, IV treatments of DMT and um, documented their experiences and um, and since he's dedicated a lot of his work to trying to make sense of um, why our bodies or, you know, what influence DMT is having on our culture and, you know, that sort of thing. And that's certainly part of it. And um, honestly, my connection with some of the research around like where DMT is found and when and all of that has become very fragmented because a lot of the early research and Rick Strassman has even come out and said this, that even some of the stuff he quoted in his own book um, was possibly out of context or not quite accurate. So I need to refresh on like what is real there as far as like Do we know like when DMT is released and where and that sort of thing? But what we do absolutely know for sure is that if you pump DMT through an IV into someone's veins, you can recreate the most profound religious mystical experiences that anyone reports. You can recreate alien visitation experiences. You can recreate... These experiences that when people have them spontaneously, With, yeah. they think that there's nothing that can compare to that, and it's the realest thing they've ever experienced. Correct. And it can be recreated, and that has profound implications for how we think about uh, things like religious experience, near-death experiences, um, alien encounters, and and all of that. And could it be tied into um, you know DMT released in our bodies, like? Sure, like absolutely that's that's totally possible and there's, you know, just given the you know, what's interesting about DMT is not just that it will reliably produce a very intense psychedelic experience, but that the contents of that experience are very similar person to person.
0: Yes, and and DMT occurs all over nature. It, well,
1: it's a very basic molecule and um and so it's one of these things that can be found in a lot of living things. Um, sometimes um, because it's a, like a secondary metabolite or something that the the plant or animal is making, or sometimes it's um, because it's such a simple molecule. Sometimes it's like a, um, almost like an accidental byproduct, just from like chemical transformations from right. very similar chemicals that are made, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's Side very, effect. it's very, um, ubiquitous in nature. Um, that's for sure. In varying concentrations, I, it's a day. It's, it's always a dangerous game to try to understand. Um, so evolutionary theory is very complicated for this reason. It's very dangerous to try to understand why, um, a chemical or an organism or whatever has come to be, um, because we can't know, and there's not necessarily a why. Um, no, but it's life, better than speculation, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, to life me it is. Life plays out and it adapts. And one thing about evolution that is very fascinating is that there are all sorts of things that can be um, expressed in organisms today that serve no function now that used to serve a very important function. Years ago, but they just haven't been selected against because they don't negatively affect the uh, survivability of that organism That's just like one small piece of this, but it just highlights why it's complicated to try to understand the evolutionary reason why Nature has done things the way that it has and it's it's it also invites humans to um sort of like project on to nature and life um, narratives and ideas um, that can seem very, uh, that can make a lot of sense. So, you know, one is like Terence McKenna's idea about, the, um, about apes using mushrooms to um, evolve, evolve their yeah. use of tools and yeah. visual acuity and everything, and um, it's an interesting idea. Some researchers have taken it quite seriously, and Um, have come to the conclusion that it actually doesn't make a lot of sense and it probably was not like that at all. Um, But psychedelics were certainly used as tools and they do increase visual acuity and low dosages and have probably helped um, people hunt better and things and have contributed to, um, you know, interesting adaptations throughout life, um, but probably not in as a profound way as he wanted to speculate. So, you know, there's we just have to be careful when we ask these why questions um, because most of the time there is not an answer that is possible to know. And so then that invites humans to project um, their own uh, desires, narratives sure. and things onto that. But it is extremely interesting that, you know, psychedelics are all around us Um And that they affect us in such profound ways that, I mean, we're talking about, like, for instance, with LSD, we're talking about, like, micrograms of a molecule that is going to elicit some of the most profound effects that you For a long time. For a very long
0: time, yeah. I'm going to mention this. I just took acid or LSD this weekend. Oh, okay. And it was the longest 12 hours (laughs) uh, I've ever experienced. Um, Not in a bad way. Yeah. But it goes back to what you say. You've got set and setting. You Not only do you got to know what you're getting into, but you need to understand, understand what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when I went through that experience this weekend, it was was brutal, man. Mm -hmm. I haven't slept in two days, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all about context. It's all about
1: personal, um, you know, just like with cannabis, you know, you're bringing things to the table. Um, And so the the biochemistry and everything of of what you're interacting with is one part of the puzzle and then what you're bringing to it in your own biochemistry is another part of the puzzle. And then the, the context by which you're engaging these, these substances, whether it's caffeine or psychedelics or cannabis or alcohol or whatever, um, they're all important nuances to, um, uh, be mindful of and, and to be aware of. And, you know, like, there's so many different directions. But like DMT is one of those things that is so powerful and short lived that's like really unique compared to a lot of other psychedelic experiences because I've I've I know people that have gotten to a point of abusing DMT. That's one of those like it's wow. hard it's harder. Are you serious? Yes, absolutely. Wow. It's harder with How do you abuse DMT? Um I think part of it is I mean, do you just
0: suck it down all day?
1: No. Um, it's not that type of abuse. It's more like doing it every couple days, every few days, whatever. But it's it's usually a symptom of someone wanting to... Um, so one of my favorite albums of all time is an album by Electric Light Orchestra called- Oh, ELO, baby. Yeah, called El Dorado. Yeah. It's not a super well-known album. It doesn't have like a lot of hits on it or anything, but it's a great concept album. And it's all about uh, this guy who's talking to a psychiatrist about um, these dreams he's been having and the fact that he wants to go back to these places he's visited in his dreams and that he doesn't really want to engage the world as it is. and that you know he wants to go to El Dorado, uh, you know, so to speak, uh, metaphorically. Met- metaphorically, yeah. And <laughs> so some to speak. some people that abuse psychedelics, I think that that is a symptom of that sort of state of mind that they have found a more favorable place to be um, in their minds, <clears throat> and that they want to revisit that as frequently as they can, and that's where. You know, one of the problems with frequent psychedelic use is dissociation, that you get so disconnected from, um, you know, this realm of life and having, you know, quote unquote normal relationships with people and, you know, and everything that you get so dissociated that you then become alienated. Um, and then you're ripe for all sorts of problems because then it's very easy to delude yourself. Well, um, and you
0: get, you know, people telling you you have psychological problems. Yeah, you and, can... and
1: you very well might, potentially. I mean, right. when I was in college, um, doing my philosophy and psychology work, I wrote a paper on, um, um, what did I call it? Um, self-brainwashing, <laughs> and the reason I wrote the paper That's was was because um, I had experienced this during my sort of darkest times of battling my bipolar symptoms and not knowing what was going on with that. And my um, experimentation with a lot of psychedelics, I was, I mean, I was really, I was using psychedelics a lot. Um, so this comes from personal experience. This isn't me speculating about, you know, whatever. Um but it is possible to program your mind using psychedelics and this is not like this is what charles manson did with his followers you know a lot of a lot of cults do this where you can give people psychedelics and then you can introduce them to ideas and concepts and things and they will adopt those concepts if you're successful and they will become so deeply held such deeply held beliefs that they become very difficult to shake afterwards and, um, but you don't need a, um, uh, an external person to do that. You can do that to yourself. And it's a very dangerous game to play, um, where through your intentions, um, what you want to accomplish with your own psychedelic use, you can brainwash yourself into believing just about anything you want to believe really. And, um, and, the effects that, that has on your mind, um, it creates problems that take an extremely long time to um to sort out and to understand what you actually believe, if that makes sense. You no, know, like,
0: I to, Well I've had friends that have been there or are, are are there. Yeah. Um It's hard for me to you know, talk about this stuff in the sense that there are some people that can't handle it or mm-hmm. don't handle it. Um, but I also think to myself that there's nothing. Tell me, give me an example of life where there's something that's benef- really beneficial, mm-hmm. but yet not. On the flip side, potentially right. unbeneficial. Of course, yeah. So I think that life in general presents us that framework that if we're gonna benefit from it, we can also be detrimental with mm-hmm. it. And so it comes with psychedelics. If you wanna learn something, you also have the tragedy of falling victim to whatever those dangers right.
1: are your own desires, your own delusions, yes. your own, you know, whatever. I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned. From my own psychedelic use, which is that our experience of reality comes through uh, several filters. One is what is your body capable of experiencing? You know, like we know that out of all the reality that exists, we're experiencing a narrow range. There's, you know, we can only see certain waves of light. You know, That's all the thing things is, we're already narrowed we're already, down. We're yeah. already limited. So you've got that filter of like what's even possible for your body to experience. Experience. Th- then yeah. you've got, um, you know, what pre existing beliefs do you have that that information is going to come filter through? And, um, and then, you know, other than that, you know, you've got um, different things related to. Your own biochemistry at the time. What's your diet like? You know, what's your health like in general? That, you know, basically is your body sort of um, in its best position to interpret you know all the information coming in. But when it gets down to like, what do you
0: believe in? Well, exactly. So that's that's one of the that's one of the final filters
1: is before you actually have the experience, information is passing through that filter that you have set up of what is your belief system, and and then you have an experience and then it's a feedback loop because then you reflect on that experience and then how you act as a reflection on what you experienced, which was filtered through out of all of these things, um, your, your belief systems. And so I think one of the things that psychedelic experiences has taught me is to be more aware of those filters, uh, be aware of what is, and, and it's impossible to do this perfectly. So I don't want to give the impression that I'm like, always aware of how my brain is no, like, no, but, well, but, but, striving to have that mindfulness of like, what belief systems have I built up and why? And, you know, is my reaction to something that's happening to me a result of, um, a bad filter, you know, essentially in my perceptual framework. And the thing that psychedelics really, um, change is that perceptual filter. Um, and in multiple ways, because psychedelics affect your your beliefs and perceptions but also they they do affect how your brain even like receives information too so it's affecting these filters on multiple levels
0: well and you're you're vulnerable so right psychedelics don't psychedelics don't have a propaganda they don't they don't care if you're white or black or whatever <laughs> right they don't have right a, yeah. so when you're dealing with that shit inside when you're taking psychedelics there is no preconceived ideas you know what I mean? Yeah. So it yeah, makes I agree. You, it makes you very vulnerable to all those ideas. I have a problem thinking that most religions haven't been developed from psychedelics, mm-hmm. because most people they've been talked to, yeah, probably were on psychedelics or meditating. Well, or yeah, breathing. I was about to say, yeah, depending on and, how you think of psychedelics. And that's the thing is that breathing, meditation, you can induce these states. You can go into cold water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sensory deprivation tanks. And, sensory yeah. depth tanks. Um, cold uh, cryogenics. Cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go. What? What about the? Uh, uh, what's his name? Wim Hof. Hoff? Uh, Hoff? Oh, the breathing the Wim Hof method. Yeah. I'm not as familiar Um, with that
1: one, but I'm familiar. I don't know if it's the same, but I'm familiar with holotropic breathing and that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. So basically the Wim Hof method is you can go in a, in a extreme cold or extreme hot environment or whatever Mm -hmm. environment, and you can breathe your way through it because Mm -hmm. of your chemistry.
1: Yeah. And he's shown that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like as a, as a culture, we, we, we stopped playing with these ideas as a group exercise, and so no, it's now all about
0: science. We we think that if you don't prove it, right, it's not a pill,
1: right. You can't then, engage it until yeah. it's proven, yeah. And, which is like a a weird thing because well, how do you prove it if you don't engage it? You know, it's like chicken and the egg sort of thing. But yeah. no, absolutely. And there, you know, I think one of the the big things about all of this is that there are aspects of our human experience that are um, um, what's the right way to put it? They're just, they're very different than our sort of day-to-day interactions. And sometimes these experiences are some of the things that have the most profound effects on, um, the way we behave and the, and what we believe and how we treat people and everything. And so we need to be talking about these inner experiences more and, I don't think it's um, inherently a bad thing to experiment with inner experience to try to learn from it and to try to figure out how we can um, navigate our states of consciousness towards a uh, more desirable realm. And I think that a lot of um, cultures, some that still exist and some that, you know, um, if they do still exist, they're in very tiny fragments, but there have been other cultures in the past that, valued this pursuit so strongly that like they would laugh at this discussion right now because they'd yeah. say like oh, of course like you know but you know as well and the a- fact that
0: it, it was part of their population like we looked at older tribes where psychedelics were involved with the kids yeah and yeah. the kids didn't abuse it the kids didn't go out and just no, have, they, you know trips they were, and they
1: were trained on how to respect and they the had experience and the the compounds and and even there are churches right now in south america where um congregations get together they um will either eat mushrooms or drink ayahuasca or whatever and they sit in silence for several hours and then people start to get up and talk about what they've experienced and sort of in this safe community forum, um, start to process, um, you know, what they've experienced and what it means for not just themselves, but their, their tribe, their, you know, their group of of family and community and everything. And that's really fascinating to me to see examples of that in other cultures. And, um, you know, to, to see these examples of where, these sub these psychedelic substances can be respected, used in a very um, um, intentional way, yeah, intentional. with with very profound positive impacts on not just a person but a community, tribe. Yeah, and um, you know, and so you know, we need to look at that more. And when it comes to you know drug education in general, I mean we have to stop compartmentalizing things until like, these are drugs and these are medicines and these are foods and everything. Yeah. And, and start really being honest about the fact that like, these are all things influencing us, things we're interacting with us and that are driving our decisions and how we interact with people. And that we need to be much more holistic in our thinking about how we're interacting with, with these things. And, and in general, you know, one thing I really like about church, um, I haven't been to church in a really long time because now I have panic attacks anytime I get near a church. But um, one thing I like about it is the shared pursuit of um, trying to understand Common something. Common idea. Yeah, and I think we do need that. Yeah. And I th- going back to something we said er- really early on in our in our conversation, but it's kind of like our society is trying to figure out what that looks like for the future, yeah. because the old models of church don't really work so well anymore. No. And it um, and and won't work. I mean, yeah, I, I they're don't, failing. Yeah. I, I don't think they're serving the purpose that they yeah. initially were, you know, supposed to serve. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what that looks like. Um, but um, I think it's, it's very valuable to have that community where everyone is pursuing better understanding of, of, um, you know, their, you know, whatever you want to call it, their, their spiritual life, you know, their inner, you know, workings and everything and are working through those thoughts in a supportive environment. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I've ranted before about <laughs> drug education <laughs> and how we how we well, talk about, you it, know, cannabis and, and other things, but yeah. we have a long way to go. But it, it seems like we're finding our way but we're sort of like
0: infants rediscovering all of this stuff sure in drug education i'm going to sum this up drug education is not this don't do drugs right say no (laughs) right that's not drug
1: education and kids recognize when you're being real and you know they know when you're telling them, like, hey, you know, there are some very serious things to be aware of here. There's also, you know, some positives to some of this stuff, too. And, hey, you're going to be around this stuff, so here's how, you know, you could um, think about it, and here's where, you know, something's serious, and you might need to get help or something. And here's, you know, here's what's what's normal, you know, that, you know, most people experience when they, you know, go through this. And, you know, there's, (laughs) if, I've learned this just from being in Oregon and being around cannabis and being around, you know, friends of mine that have kids that use cannabis and seeing how their kids react to the concept of cannabis that, so where I come from in Mississippi, there's this terrifying notion that if we, you know, start decriminalizing or legalizing cannabis that, you know, all these kids are going to start using, you know, they're all going to start smoking weed and then, you know, what are they going to do? And, What I've experienced coming to Oregon is that the absolute opposite thing happens, that when cannabis is no longer stigmatized and kids grow up around it, seeing it, you know, around their parents and stuff. And it's talked about openly and not just openly, but, you know, that there's a whole industry around it and everything. And yeah, and they learn, they see...
0: How to grow it? What yeah. it's like? Well, and they see like it.
1: they see like people that do abuse it and that have negative outcomes, and they see people that use it a lot and don't have negative outcomes and stuff. And so their their um, conception of like what it means to use cannabis is very different out here than than I've experienced in Mississippi. And a lot of my friends that have kids that are getting into their like teenage years, they don't really want to have anything to do with cannabis. They don't view it as like you know, something that's particularly um, interesting or, like, you know, it doesn't have this aura around it of being this, like, naughty thing you can do. And, like, it's not even a thing to do to, like, no. pro- protest the government no. or anything anymore. It's, no, it's, it's
0: just there. It's just, you do it, it or you don't. It just
1: is what it is. Yeah, and there's it's not, like
0: coffee. Yeah. Do you drink coffee? No, I don't like coffee. Okay, great. Right. And so,
1: you know... Uh, that is really reassuring. And I think that if we can be more real about talking about substances and uh, the very real therapeutic applications and risks and, um, and help people understand um, the landscape of all of this stuff, I mean, that's, I think that's the way it would play out, that people would just adopt these things as part of culture and reality. They wouldn't view them as like these
0: big, Monsters, Monsters or, or like, yeah. or <laughs> flip side, my kids know about our use with cannabis. I'm going to tell everybody and everybody already <laughs> knows our kids know about cannabis. Not only is it, um, not a big deal, but they've seen us and understand that, um, it's just something. Yeah. So for instance, my daughter doesn't like cannabis because she's seen the bugs on it. Yeah. Well, unless you're an indoor grower, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, bugs right and you're smoking any, bugs my, my kids saw it they say oh just like my vegetables just like melons just like watermelon just like pumpkins they all got bugs they don't like them they're mm-hmm. like this is really what we this is what we eat yeah yeah <laughs> this is what you consume right yeah so they don't like it you know so and that's just a reality yeah but for me when I was a kid um, you know cannabis was Illegal. And, mm-hmm. oh, yep. Me too. Yeah. My dad did it, and oh, I gotta. They're doing it in the car, you know, in the car, and, and
1: looking out and for the cops and they're trying to.
0: And they're not. Hi, they're hiding it from me. What is it? Why? Why?
1: Exactly. They're hiding it. Why? Yeah. Why is this so
0: dangerous? And mm-hmm. I want to try that. And once I tried it, it's like. This is all it is. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And then I got in trouble for everything. <laughs> it's like, what the hell?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I've had that same experience. And, you know? and with your daughter, I mean, let's get frank, what are mm-hmm. you going to do? I mean, my plan, you know, with my own daughter is to be very, um, you know, open with her in general.
0: Um, I mean, you you have the opportunity to teach her.
1: Yeah. My perspective is that hiding things from her is not going to do her any good, and isn't I want her to make her own choices. Exactly. And I want her choices to be the best informed choices that she can make. Um and, and wouldn't you want her to come to you and say Exactly. Dad. Yeah. Exactly. That's one of my biggest fears is just as a parent is that she and I know this will happen at some point cuz it's just the nature of parenthood I think, but I don't ever want her to feel like she can't come to me about something and share, you know, whatever it is. Um but especially about drug use, especially given my own experiences and the fact that, like, you know, I understand a lot about the the science, the pharmacology, but also, like, I mean, I've done these things. I mean, there's very little that she could experience that I haven't experienced myself at least once. And so, you know, the fact that I can just be real with her and explain what I've seen, what I've experienced, the negative outcomes... Uh, the neutral outcomes, the positive
0: outcomes, the science behind it, you I, know, I feel all these like sort it, of things. I feel like it gives them a chance. Yeah. Like, there's no chance when you only have one side. Right. Like, you can say no. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But but why did you say no? Because it was bad? Right. I mean, so, but isn't the informed decision saying, okay, I could do this, but I, I don't know, want to. I don't want to and I don't need to. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've weighed it and it's just like anything else that I've decided that I want to do or not to do, I've made this decision. Yeah. yeah no, no, absolutely. Because the just say no thing, that's not a decision. It's not education. No. And so, yeah, absolutely. When it comes to, to anything in life, I want my daughter to make as informed a decision as she can And, um, and so, you know, when that comes to drugs, you know, when she gets to an appropriate age, you know, I'm going to start having those discussions early. The same goes with sex too. Yeah. You know, I'll probably end up having discussions with her about that earlier than a lot of people would, but that's because when that topic comes up in her life, which for a lot of kids, it's coming up earlier and earlier, earlier, I want her to be informed and not just, um have in her mind that um you know that it's just prohibited or, or something like that that's, would, that's the know. thing
0: is that my kids done yeah way before 12 yeah way yeah before, oh yeah yeah way before period yeah bottom line is this this is what it gets down to is that's your responsibility your responsibility as a parent is to make your not even make your kids let your kids understand hmm the world. Yeah, you're preparing them. Then to... let them make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Because me and you, we've made fucked up decisions. Oh yeah, we made good <laughs> decisions. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and I think the big thing is that you can talk to your kids about things like drugs and sex or whatever, and not give off the impression that you're wanting them to engage in any sort of activity or that you're even condoning oh, right. the activity. And I think, I think that's, a mis- get, yeah. that's a misconception because people are like, well, if I talk to my kids about drugs or my own drug use, then they're going to think I condone it. And I mean, we'll just be explicit that you're not condoning and that you're not encouraging and that you're trying to share this information to so that they have a better chance at making better decisions than you had when you were in their shoes. And that this is a part of preparing them for the world, that they're not going to be able to be under your wing forever. And like I said, um, kids are becoming more independent earlier and earlier, and they're being exposed to really big, you know, sometimes life-altering situations at earlier and earlier ages. So, yeah, like 10 years old, 11 years old. I mean, you well, know, Well, I mean, do you
0: want your daughter to learn from Facebook? Right. Do you want yeah. her to learn and they from will. IG? And they will... And they will. Yeah. Once they're already in it, it's hard
1: because then they're comparing everything you say to everything else that they've been exposed to yeah. already. Which and, is
0: probably bullshit in their mind. Like they think, right. okay, well, now dad's just telling me shit.
1: Right. Just telling me what he wants yeah. to tell me, yeah. but, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, but I also understand it's hard. It's hard to have these real conversations. Yeah. and um you know, um, once again, it's a it's like a cultural thing that we've got to really fight this um, sort of a reactionary instinct that we have to uh, avoid things and, or prohibit things and that just
0: uh, or we feel like there's repercussions or there's some something bad that's going to come. So this is what I'm saying, man. Curious about cannabis, Jason Wilson.
1: Curious about cannabis. You yeah. guys,
0: you are having these discussions. This is what Curious about Cannabis is about: having frank discussions about cannabis and the real things in life. So check it out. You're on every everything. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're on. Um, so as far as the podcast goes, most yeah.
1: places you listen to podcasts. I'm still waiting to get approved. Like, I don't think I'm on Pandora yet. Um.
0: Doesn't matter. We but, can find you anywhere. Yeah. I mean, Spotify, if you, if you Google, Stitcher.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm on most of the major platforms, and then on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, we're we're all there, and yeah, the whole point of Curious About Cannabis is trying to promote um, uh, critical discussions um, about you know us, you know what I call um, essential questions about cannabis, and uh, that doesn't always lead to answers, um, but the discussion is you know part of it is about identifying better questions to ask. So yeah. um, Curious about cannabis. Look us up. There's a lot, a lot going on. (laughs) Well,
0: and like I said, Jason is bringing the science. So people um, don't sleep on this. Um, uh, You know, this guy is bringing a level to cannabis that most people don't get. Uh, He's got people that I, I mean, I don't even interview. So please check out curious about cannabis just just seek it out uh natural learning enterprises is yeah. your website yeah and um, so on, and so patreon yeah yeah
1: so on the topic of mushrooms um so unrelated to curious about cannabis but related to natural no, learning enterprises it, yeah. so uh natural learning enterprises is our um um like science education media company that houses um a variety of brands and and uh learning initiatives and things but um we are about to publish in just a few months a children's book all about mushrooms. Um, so, we're finishing up the illustrations and everything, the story's all done, just waiting to get the illustrations done and get the final formatting all put together. But um, it's something that, you know, if you're interested in exposing um, your children to, you know, it doesn't talk about psychedelic mushrooms or anything no, like no, that, no. but just about like, um, You know, it's it's something I think we commented on very early on is we have this um, issue of mycophobia in the United States, particularly that people are view mushrooms as as gross or, you know, mold or problematic or whatever. So um, this children's book is designed to it it, um, sort of takes you on a journey um, along with somebody who holds a lot of those feelings. You know, they're like a suburbanite that. Um, doesn't really have any appreciation for mushrooms or anything like that, and they're sort of um, thrust into this um, interesting adventure where they're um, they learn about all the different roles that um, fungi play in the environment and um, how humans use um, fungi for all sorts of things, as medicines and foods, and um, even dyes to you know make uh, colored clothes and stuff. So um, you know it's it's meant to you know kind of hopefully open a a doorway there for children to learn more about mycology. And, um, it's also going to come out with a, um, series of lesson plans that'll be online digitally for educators or for like homeschooling parents. Um, so that you can actually do some activities that relate to some of the things that happen in the book. Um, so as far as mushrooms go, um, and even if you're an adult and you want to learn more about mushrooms, um, it might be something fun to check out. So natural learning enterprises is the group responsible for that. And the website's natural learning com. And, um, yeah. And so curious about cannabis is one of the several, um, brands underneath that. And if you want to learn more about curious about cannabis, you can go to CAC podcast.com and that'll, um, shortcut you to all of the information about the podcast itself. And, um, we have, um, like additional learning resources and, and that sort of stuff on there as well.
0: So we appreciate it, brother.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me as usual. This was a very um, uh, very different sort of conversation than yes. we normally have, but I, I That's really okay. enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah,
0: me too. And like I said, if, you know, follow Jason. Um, this stuff is stuff that needs to be talked about and we are having critical conversations, especially with uh, Curious About Cannabis. So thank you. We appreciate so much. it. I'm Higher Peaks, and you've just listened to The Dirt Show. If you like this episode, please like, share, comment, and go to organrooted.com where you can subscribe to us on your favorite platform like iTunes, Pandora, or Spotify. Also, check us out on our YouTube for videos, and IG, Facebook, and Twitter for all our updates. Thank you for listening.